great love. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, last book in your New Testament. Revelation and uh, <laughs> something's off here. I imagine they're working on that in the back. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 11. And uh, we're going to read verse 3 in just a moment and keep your Bibles open. There we go. We're in this study that I started when the uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. And uh, I entitled it Russia and Armageddon. How does it fit together? Again, my purpose is not to talk about what we as America should do in, the, in what's going on in the world. My purpose is to see what, uh, how Russia fits into Bible prophecy and uh, particularly the battle of Armageddon and uh, we've been looking at that now as you can see this is part five in this study and it's part two in this what I'm this subtitle I'm giving it and that is mercy in a time of judgment we think of we think of the tribulation period as being a time of judgment and it is but it's also a time of great revival, really the greatest revival that will ever happen on earth will happen during the tribulation period. And we're looking at those particular things in this subtitle here, Mercy in a Time of Judgment. With that said, let's look now at verse 3 of chapter 11. It says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand one hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. That's twelve hundred and sixty days they shall prophesy. Here's two prophets, two witnesses sharing the message that God has given them. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. Speak to us and teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dmitri Vodyu is 50 years old. He's an American citizen. He was born in Russia. He came to the U.S. when he was 17 years old and became a citizen of the U.S. He's a believer in the Lord Jesus, and during that time in America, God called him into ministry, and he felt the Lord leading him to go to Ukraine. So today, at 50 years old, he is a pastor in Ukraine. And ever since the invasion from Russia began, he has been helping people. As you know, people are refugees. They had to leave their homes. And some of their homes destroyed by bombing and, and so forth. And, and uh, he had 50 people, as of last week, he had 50 people living in the church building who didn't have anywhere else to live, and he was feeding them. And he and the congregation were caring for these people. He had some websites and some social media where he invited people to come to the church. But last week... 10 to 12 
uh, Russian soldiers came to his house and they abducted him right in front of his wife and children. They took all their electronics, all their phones and computers and everything and took this pastor away. And so the family asked Christians around the world who hear this story to pray for Dimitri. Last week, President Biden was speaking in, in Europe, but I'm thinking about when he was speaking in Poland in particular. While he was speaking there, there and about to speak, missiles hit Lviv, which is a city only 40 miles away from Poland, 40 miles away from the nation where our president was speaking. And Poland is a NATO nation, and of course the NATO nations have that Article 5 agreement that if someone attacks on any of their country's soil, the rest of NATO comes to their aid. So that, those missiles bombing was only 40 miles from World War III if they had hit in Poland. These are perilous times. The, uh, again, I just throw out some figures that comes from the Ukrainian government around between two and 4,000 troops, Ukrainian troops have died and thousands of citizens have died in the bombings. According to Ukraine, 3,000 plus have died in just two cities. Now the official count is less than that. The UN, United Nations, has the official count, but they say even with their official count, there's over 1,000 civilians who have died. But then they put with that that the number is probably considerably higher because, of course, all of it's going on every day and it's hard to keep up and you stay days or weeks behind on those kind of statistics. Ten million people displaced had to leave their home. Some are still in Ukraine trying to find a place of shelter, trying to find food or water, and, and of course many have left the country and are refugees in other countries. Our missionaries, who are members of our church, are missionaries in Ukraine. They have some refugees living in their home. And the last couple of weeks, we've had a box out that says Anderson's on it. And, and you have given, we've given over $1,000 to go to the Andersons to feed and clothe and care for these refugees. Since this war began, we've been having special prayer for them on Sunday morning. I want to do that again this morning. Bow with me, please. Father, we pray for this American citizen, this pastor in Ukraine, our brother in the Lord, Dimitri. And we pray that you'd keep him safe and, and alive and bring him back safely to his wife and children, we pray. We pray for the other innocent people in Ukraine and all the 10 million who are displaced. We pray that somehow through all of this tragedy and chaos, you will draw people to yourself. We pray for the Andersons, our missionaries. Give them wisdom as they minister to these refugees that are living in their home. Meet their needs, we pray. Again, we pray for 
end to this tragic war. Give world leaders wisdom as they try to find a peace solution. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going through the 18 stages of the War of Armageddon. And uh, we're on number seven. I'm not going to recap them this morning for time's sake. Look at your screen up there. And uh, we've come to number seven. And we looked at this last week. And we're going to continue on this week. Many Jews and Gentiles come to Christ. And, uh, and then those who rejected Christ before the rapture cannot believe. And we took, we took time to turn over there and examine that passage last, uh, last week. Here's some of the ways we know there's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation. Uh, and so uh, there's uh, at least five passages that deal with that. Jews and Gentiles saved during the tribulation. There's the 144,000. We talked about them last week. I believe they're all Jews. And they will be redeemed after the rapture takes place. Now remember the rapture takes place first. Then the Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel a peacekeeping treaty and, and probably uh, securing their borders. And uh, Antichrist will not be a terrible monster at that point in time. He'll just be a very slick politician, world leader. And uh, he will sign this contract and, uh, and the tribulation will begin then after the rapture. Well, the church is all caught up. So these 144,000 will come to Christ through... Uh, reading Bibles, reading Christian literature, uh, going online and listening to sermons and so forth. And uh, they will come to Christ, I think, early uh, in the tribulation period. You can imagine how earth-shaking it would be if a billion people disappeared from the face of the earth all at one time. And so people will be looking for answers. So we have the 144,000 right up front. Then you have the multitude in heaven, and, and uh, this is a great scene. It's, uh, it's a scene with a number so big you cannot count it from every tribe and nation and tongue and, and from every, every people group. And then the, uh, the elder in heaven tells John, John's the one seeing the vision that's given by the Lord Jesus, the elder says to John, these are those who came out of the great tribulation. So this is not the church. This is the tribulation saints, people who got saved during the tribulation, this great number. Now today we're going to look at the two witnesses, along with angels preaching. And then next week we're going to look at the judgment of Israel and the nations after the tribulation period. Now with that said, let's jump back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod... And the angel stood, saying, Arise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. Now, the angel speaks to John, who has seen this vision, and tells him to get him a measuring rod. Bamboo grew, and still does, grows in the, um, in the Jordan Valley, and it was used for measuring sticks. 
They would be cut off about nine, about nine feet long because they're very hard and rigid uh, and, uh, and strong. They were good to use, and also they were hollow, so they were not heavy. So if you want to measure 10 feet, you laid it on the ground, then you went to where the end was, and you laid it down again. That's 20 feet and 30 feet and a measuring rod. And so he measures the temple. Now, what temple is this? Solomon's temple was destroyed in 583 before Christ. There was another temple. Zerubbabel's temple was destroyed in 168 B.C. Herod's temple, the temple that Jesus preached in, uh, Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And Titus, the general at that time. So those temples were destroyed. But we're told that in the tribulation period, the temple would be built back. Now, obviously, that will be during that first three and a half years where there is peace. And, uh, and they will build back the temple and they will have, actually have sacrifices reinstated and so forth in the temple. And then midway through is when the Antichrist shall take over the temple, this newly built temple, and uh, will claim to be God himself and set up his image in the temple. Look at verse 2. But the court which is without or outside the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread uh, underfoot forty and two days. Forty and, and two months, I'm sorry. Forty and two months is a half a year, a half of seven years. It's three and a half years. And so that's the, that's the great tribulation. And, and during the great tribulation, the Gentiles... The Antichrist and his uh, armies, as we've already looked at, shall come into Jerusalem, take over Jerusalem, and start killing uh, the Jewish people. And the Jewish people will flee into the wilderness and the mountains to hide from the Antichrist. And that's going to take place for 40 and 2 months. Now that brings us to verse 3, which is our text. And I will give power unto my two witnesses that they shall prophesy... A thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. Now here we have three and a half years in days. Twelve hundred and sixty days. The same period of time. Now these are witnesses. This word witness is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 1 in verse 8 where it talks about Jesus talking about my responsibility and your responsibility. Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the same word. These two, and I think they'll be Jewish because they're prophets, and I think they'll get saved from the ministry of the 144,000. And uh, they will have their ministry during the second half of the uh, tribulation period and, uh, and, and it'll be the 1260 days now I say they're in the second part of the tribulation period some people see them in the first part and the reason most of them believe that is because when 
in just a few verses later, the beast, which is the Antichrist, is going to kill these two witnesses. And so their thinking is that when the Antichrist comes on the scene as a monster, it's halfway through, and that he will kill them halfway through, and therefore their ministry was in the first three and a half years. But their ministry is full of miracles and supernatural things. I don't see those things happening in the first half of the tribulation period. The first half of the tribulation period is pretty much status quo with uh, rumblings of war in the background, but everybody's at peace. Israel is at peace. And uh, there's nothing supernatural going on in the first half. You know, there's only been three periods where miracles were numerous. The first period of mankind was, besides creation, of course, but since man's been created on the earth, the first one was Moses, and of course the plagues of Egypt, and the, and the opening of the Red Sea. And then God fed the Israelites with manna, which came down every morning. And that's certainly supernatural. Then they crossed in, 40 years later, they crossed into the Promised Land across the, uh, across the Jordan River, which was a miracle. And they soon marched around the walls of Jericho, and they fell down. I mean, this, uh, that period of time was plenteous with miracles. But it was just for that period of time, less than 100 years, less than around 50 years maybe. The second time was the ministries of, of Elijah and Elisha. And uh, there was uh, a numerous miracles that God wrought through these two prophets. Now there was other miracles, and God can work miracles any time because He's God. He's not limited by, uh, by what we think. Uh, he's God and sovereign. He worked miracles at other times. There was Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. But I'm talking about times when, for some reason, God chose to show himself through the supernatural. And then the, uh, the third time was in the ministry of Christ and the apostles. Jesus, of course, performed many miracles. Thirty-five of them are recorded for us, but there were many more. And then... The apostles performed miracles, even raising of the dead, Christ and the apostles. And these were tremendous miracles that vindicated who Jesus was and then vindicated that the apostles were his, uh, his spokesmen. But that lasted less than 100 years, as did the others. Now, the fourth time is during the tribulation period. It's that 1,260 days, those 42 months, is going to be a time of great miracles. We've already read the Antichrist is going to perform miracles. The false prophet's going to perform miracles. And um, things are going to be falling out of the sky. And judgment will fall. And these two witnesses here, who are also said to prophesy, these two Jewish witnesses witnessing to Christ will also perform miracles. So I think their ministry is obviously in the second part 
of the tribulation period in that time of miracles. And it's also talking about these two numbers are given to us and these two verses together. And obviously the first one refers to the second part of the tribulation. I spend a little time on that because some, some authors you will read or hear will say they were in the first part of the tribulation period. I think it's the second. Now look at verse 4. There, uh, the, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, this is, comes from a prophecy in Zechariah, an Old Testament prophecy. And in the short term, that prophecy is referring to Joshua, the high priest at the time, and Zerubbabel, who is the governor at the time. And, uh, but it has far-reaching prophetic value as well. The fact that they were like two olive trees... Olive oil was what lit the candles and lit the lanterns and so forth. And oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. So these men back in uh, Zechariah's day, Joshua and Zerubbabel, they were filled with the Spirit. And then they were like two candles. That is, they were lighting up in the darkness. Because they were filled with the Spirit, they lit the darkness. And there was actually a revival during their day as well. Here, the prophecy is applied to the two witnesses also. So they're going to be filled with the Spirit. And they're going to be a great light for people. They're preaching, they're teaching, the way they live, the miracles that will be performed. And so they are like Joshua and Zerubbabel. Now some people have said they think these two witnesses are Moses and uh, Elijah. Now there's, there's good thought on that. And when I say others, I mean other good scholars, besides the scholars over here that maybe don't believe that, but there's, there's a different opinion between good scholars. And uh, the thought of them being uh, Moses and, and Elijah goes something like this. Malachi chapter 4 said... Uh, that Elijah would be coming, uh, would be a, appearing in the final days. But Jesus, if you remember, when Jesus was asked about that, Jesus said that John the Baptist fulfilled that prophecy. So it wasn't actually Elijah coming back, it was a man like Elijah. It was, uh, it was John the Baptist. And some people think these two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah because both of them were caught up into heaven. They didn't have to die. They're the only two people in Scripture that didn't have to die. So some people think it's them coming back. One reason Moses is tied into there is because some of the miracles are reminiscent of the miracles God worked at Moses' hand. And Moses and Elijah met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the two of them together discussing the cross. And so some people believe that it's Moses and Elijah or Elijah and, and uh, Enoch. 
But we're not told that here, and it seems to me with the information we have, it's probably best to think these are just two men who they're not somebody coming back from the dead. They're just two men that were born and grew up just like me and you. And uh, somewhere along the line, they hear the gospel. They hear the gospel probably from the 144,000. They give their heart to Christ. They're blood-bought and blood-washed children of God. And then God calls them to this prophetic ministry and gives them power. Now, there's a lot of scholars that feel like that's probably the best understanding, like Dr. Pentecost and Dr. Ryrie and many others. And so, these are two men living during this time. Now, when we come to verse 5, we come to these miracles. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Wow, that's pretty fearful, isn't it? Fire proceeding out of their mouth. Now, is this literal fire? I think it probably is. Uh, maybe, the, uh, maybe when they are uh, confronted with those who have come to kill them. Remember, there's a lot of murdering and killing going on in the second part of the tribulation period. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you're going to be put to death. These two don't take the mark. <clears throat> and so they are leaders of those who will not take the mark. And so they're trying to assassinate these two. But when it comes, gets close to that happening, they can defend themselves with breathing out fire. And then look at verse 6. And they have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So for that 1260 days, they can stop it from raining during that period, off and on, and other things too. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Wow. So, Antichrist has miracles. The, the false prophet has miracles going on. And they're saying these miracles say you should follow me. But the uh, two witnesses say they, they have miracles and they say you need to follow Christ because they're witnesses of Christ. Look at verse 7. And when they have finished their testimony... The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now remember the beast is the Antichrist and this is the first time in the book of Revelation he's called the beast. He will be called the beast 36 times altogether. This is the first. And uh, that's the reason some people think the two witnesses minister during the first half of the tribulation period. Because they say this is when the Antichrist comes on the scene. But notice it more closely. Look at it again. It says, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. It didn't say he just then ascended out of the bottomless pit. It's just, that's a phrase that's descriptive. Telling who he is. He is empowered by Satan. Who... Uh, is in charge of the abyss. Excuse me. <coughs> so he kills them. But notice that phrase right up top at verse 7. 
once uh, when they had finished their testimony. They were indestructible until God allowed them to be killed. And once they were finished, God was finished with them, they had finished their job, then he allows them to be killed, and, uh, and they were killed by the Antichrist. Look at verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, that's, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. This is Jerusalem. During the second half of the tribulation period, the city will be so wicked because it's overrun by the Antichrist and his uh, forces. It will be so wicked, it will be like Sodom, which emphasizes sexual immorality. And like Egypt, which emphasizes rebellion against God. That's what the holy city will be like during those days. Verse 9. Uh, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, or three and a half days, and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in, in graves. This is a great dishonor, and this is something you do to an enemy to despise, to show your hatred of the enemy. So they didn't bury them. They just left them laying in the streets of Jerusalem. And... Uh, Verse 10 says, And they that dwelt upon the earth shall rejoice over them, that is, over their death, and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Somebody has called this a satanic Christmas. They are so happy over the death of the two witnesses that they send each other gifts. Well, it, they've only been dead three and a half days. How can you send gifts... Well, you couldn't have 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but you can now. You can send a gift through, uh, uh, through email and online and so forth. You can send money. You can send uh, gifts. And you could do it the same day they died. And so people of the earth, and by the way, that little phrase there at verse 10 says, they that dwell upon the earth, that's used 11 times in revelation of the unbelievers on earth. So this is the unbelievers. They're celebrating. Verse 11 says, And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. Wow. Think about that. They've been dead three and a half days, laying in the street, dishonored. Everybody's rejoicing over them being dead. And they're all watching it, of course, on the uh, continual news channels and on the Internet. And there's interviews going on. Maybe there's somebody interviewing people right when they stand up. And you can see the shock on the faces of the people uh, who are doing the interview and so forth. But the whole world sees it because it's online, because it's on TV and they see this great miracle. Verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither or come up here. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Wow, can you imagine that? <laughs> I'm sure some of them said, Wow, what they said must have been true. But we're going to see that 
others hated him all the, all the more. And so right in front of the cameras, they ascend. The Lord Jesus ascended back to heaven in front of his disciples. These two will ascend into heaven in front of the whole world. And verse 13, And the same hour was there a great earthquake, almost like it is to emphasize that resurrection and that ascension. And uh, there is a great earthquake. There's a lot of earthquakes in the Bible, or that, uh, references to earthquakes in the Bible. And there's three large earthquakes in the book of Revelation. This is the second one. And there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. That would be the city of Jer Jerusalem. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the uh, remnant were affrightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past. Behold, a third woe cometh quickly. So now 7,000 people die in this particular earthquake. But notice that phrase, and many were affrightened and gave glory to God. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, you figure that probably that phrase, gave glory to God, means they, they became believers in the Lord Jesus. You might say, and you know, my kind of thinking, when I read this, my thinking is, <clears throat> it looks like to me everybody would get saved. With, this, with all this stuff going, it looks like everybody would get saved. That's not the case. For instance, go back to chapter 9 for a moment. Just a couple of pages back, two chapters back. Chapter 9, and look at uh, the last two verses. And verse 20. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not... Worship devils or demons. That's going to go on during the tribulation, the great tribulation. And idols of gold and silver. There's going to be the worship of money and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor uh, hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders. A lot of murders are going to go on. Everybody that doesn't take the mark of the beast is going to be murdered. Aren't you glad you and I are not going to be there? Amen. We are not appointed under wrath, the, the, the Word of God says. Jesus took our wrath on the cross. So, so you and I can skip the wrath because we've been given mercy and grace and salvation in Christ. Well, notice they didn't repent of their murders nor of their sorceries. The word sorcery there... It means witchcraft and supernatural stuff. There's going to be a great revival of witchcraft and so forth. But the root of that word is where we get our word pharmaceuticals. And so the idea also carries drugs. Drug use during that day will be tremendous. And fornication. There's immorality again of every kind and every sort and of their thefts. Just turn quickly now. I'm getting behind on time. Uh, look at uh, ahead to chapter 16 for just a moment. Chapter 16. And uh, verse 9. We see these same thoughts again. Look at verse 9. 
And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over the plagues, and repented not to give him glory. See that little phrase, give him glory? They didn't give him glory. But the ones we read about in chapter 11, they gave him glory, indicating they recognized who he was and trusted him. And so that was a, that was a part of Israel uh, that got saved on that particular occasion. But here, even later in the, she got early in the tribulation, later in the tribulation, they're refusing to repent. Verse 11, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Wow. And so, we have uh, the earth becoming more polarized than ever. Believers and non-believers. You, you and I see it in our day. I think believers and non-believers are more polarized today than, than any time in the past. You know? Even though we can love unbelievers and so forth, but their opinions and thoughts and worldview just gets more and more different. Well, this is going to be even more so. The unbelievers are going to take the mark of the beast and worship devils and participate in drug abuse and immorality. And the believers will refuse to do any of that and they will be put to death every time they uh, can be caught. And that's the reason uh, the nation of Israel will hide out in the wilderness. And I may talk about where that wilderness is at a later time. Turn over with me now to chapter 14 and I've got to do this quickly. Chapter 14 and verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Here we have an angel preaching, only time in the Bible. Angels now shared announcements and so on and so forth. And, but in this age, the church age, it's the responsibility of the church to preach the gospel. But in this age... Um, Angels were going to preach. I heard a guy on TV one time several years ago said this is not really an angel, but it is a satellite that, he, that his programs bounced off of. And, uh, it, and I think they even called the satellite angel. And so it was his ministry that was going to cover the earth with, uh, uh, with the gospel. But the word angel is used 70 times in the book of Revelation... And it refers to angels, heavenly beings. The book of Revelation has a lot of signs and symbols, but they're not there so you and I can just kind of guess at them and make them mean something that uh, we want them to mean for us or for our ministry or something like that. This is an angel. And this angel is preaching the everlasting gospel. Now, some people say he's preaching judgment, but... Uh, uh, Actually, it says he's preaching the everlasting uh, gospel. And uh, verse 14 and verse 6, the everlasting gospel to preach those that dwell on the earth. Remember last week we looked at that verse where Jesus said, during the tribulation, the, the gospel is going to preach to everyone before the end comes. Well, this is part of that preaching to everyone. The angel flying and preaching. And uh, 
Verse 7, he says with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of uh, waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. Babylon is a, is a name for everything the beast was in control of, his economic uh, kingdom, his political and uh, kingdom. Babylon has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then another angel comes along, and I've got to just move. Let me just tell you what he says. Another angel comes along and says, Everybody that takes the mark of the beast is lost, and they're going to be eternally lost. And then we come down to verse 13. He says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the, are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. They rest from their labors. It's going to be so bad that it, it's going to be a blessing to die. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Now, it's really true in every age. It's blessed are those who die in the Lord because we get to go to heaven. But even more so in the tribulation, and that's the context in which this verse is spoken. I've got to uh, skip over some screens here. Forgive me. My time ran out. I want to end with this. Psalm 46. What do we do in such a troubling time that we're living in? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isn't that true? He's always present. He's a present help. I might have good intentions and want to help you, but I'm not around when you need me, and uh, I can't help you. But God's always around when you need him. He's a very present help in time of trouble. And then verse 2 says... Therefore will uh, not we fear. If God's going to take care of us in trouble, we shouldn't be afraid. Therefore we shall not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. Now that's kind of a poetic way of saying, regardless of what happens, whatever happens, we don't have to be afraid because the Lord is our refuge. And then the chapter ends, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Get alone with the Lord. Just get still and quiet and acknowledge that He is God, the Creator, the Sovereign One, and He's still on the throne. He's big enough to take care of me and big enough to take care of you. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. That's going to take place, of course, during the tribulation, as we've seen. And... Uh, and I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord's with us right now today. If you belong to Christ, He's with you. Whatever you're going to go through, He's going to go through it with you. Then it says Selah. That means stop and think about it. Wow, think about that. God's still on the throne. Be still and know that I'm God. I'm with you. I'm your refuge. Bow with me, please. Maybe today you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm going through troubled times myself. 
And I want you to pray for me that I'll know the Lord's strength and peace in this time of trouble. Would you slip your hand up all over the building if you feel that way? Yes, God bless you and you and you. And God bless you and you. Several hands. God bless you. You may put them down. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that those of us who are saved, they're sitting right here today, we're going to be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to miss every bit of this. And we're thankful for that. But we have troubles right here in this life too. And you've seen the hands of your people facing difficulties, troubles. Strengthen them. May they, may they get alone with you and be still and know, acknowledge that you are God, the sovereign one. And that you're with them. You're a very present help in time of trouble. Meet their needs, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Dr.